0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. So, Over the past several weeks, we've uh, talked about a number of things, which is going to lead into today's topic on uh, what's the big deal. But I'm gonna, I'll get to that as I lead into it from review a bit from the past several weeks. We've talked about the gifts of the Spirit. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. We talked about what it means to sow the wind and reap the whirlwind and put that in the context of the wind of the world and the wind of the Spirit. We could sow the wind of the Spirit. But we have to surrender. We have to give over our lives and ourselves and be willing to let that wind of the Spirit blow in us, the very breath of God. So we eagerly desire the gifts, but we seek the giver. Seek the giver of the gifts. Seek the Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit to breathe his breath into us as we desire his gifts. And then last week we heard uh, from Reverend Terry Allen. And he encouraged to refocus our focus, placing Christ and his house as our top priority. He preached from uh, the Old Testament book of Haggai regarding the former temple and the later temple, the old and the new. And Brother Terry referenced the book of Zechariah from Zechariah chapter four, where there were formidable and seemingly insuperable Obstacles against uh, Zerubbabel and his mission to build the second temple. But Zechariah received a word from the Lord for Zerubbabel, didn't he? And what was that word? We heard last week. It was not by your might, it's not by your power, it's not by your strength, Zerubbabel. No, it's by the Spirit of the living God. It's not the land, it's not the property, it's not the brick and the mortar that made the second temple experience greater than the first. But it's what we've been discussing over the past number of weeks. It was the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, a continual visitation of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. And the same is true for us today. In our history, in our local church, We need to desire that continual, ongoing visitation of the Holy Spirit and and the overflowing uh, outflow of the Holy Spirit, which has been deposited in us. We need to let that flow and let it be expressed in love. Paul wrote to the the Galatians about life by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, and it's expressed by love, he told the Galatians. To the Corinthians, he said, eagerly desires the these gifts of the Spirit, but what? Follow the way of love. He dedicated an entire chapter there in 1 Corinthians to love. He took a little interlude and said, let me show you the the greater way. And he talked all about what love is. To the Romans, Paul said, God's love has been poured in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it was that when the service was closed last week, that Reverend Terry invited everyone to the front and he uh, led a prayer, but he asked you, He said, take the hand of someone to your right and someone to your left and pray. And he said, pray for that person. Look at that person. Look at that face. Remember that face on your right and remember that face on your left this coming week and pray for that person. And I trust that you have done that. I trust that you have let the outflow of the Holy Spirit and love affect you and influence you to pray for those two people during the week Because that shows a unity and a bond of the saints and the love of the Holy Spirit. And that's the glue. That's that's like the bonding agent for this, the church. I would love us to continue in that, to to be inspired by that, by that bond. That we would be, as Reverend Allen talked about last week, the Acts 2 church. I hope you were inspired uh, by what he said when he talked about the Acts 2 church and in the sense of their action, that they were, by their actions, devoted to the apostles' teaching, and they were devoted to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, these were the actions of this Acts 2 church that Brother Terry referenced last week. But I hope, too, that you're also inspired by the sense of their community, their association, their connection. What really brought them together and held them together. In Acts 2, we find a description of the first established organized church. I say organized. And people chafe. Organized? No. Oh no, no, they say, no way. The New Testament church, no, that was not an organized church, was it? No, it was everyone together. It was communal. It was sharing and rejoicing, and it was awesome, and it was an organic movement, sharing and caring. That's the farthest thing from organized. There's no way I'm going to be a part of some organized church. Have you ever heard that? And what's the big deal? I don't need church. I don't need an organized church. I'm part of an Acts 2 organic movement. We meet online. I'm being fed by podcasts and videos, and I can download notes, and I can fill in the blanks, and everyone can contribute on the comments section, and they can share their own teaching by uploading a video, and there's a prayer request chat room, and we break bread together virtually. I just bring my bread and my cup into my living room, and then everyone has communion online. And more and more people are connecting. You know, I know it because I can see it on the Facebook page. It's an organic movement. And that was like the Acts 2 church. Not belonging to your church, that's no big deal. And besides, I'm not being bogged down by all your needless rules and regulations in your organized church. I hear it that way. It almost sounds like an organic movement sounds pretty good. But even in some churches, they seem to be uh, doing things a little bit uh, differently. I have this article here. It's called uh, This Robot Priest Heralds Christianity's Death in Europe as part of an exhibition to mark the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. 500 years ago, Martin Luther made a, a great spark that reformed the church. So it's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. A church in uh, Wittenberg, Germany, where it all began, has unveiled what it calls a robot priest a machine that emits lights from its outstretched hands and it dispenses blessings in five languages. Hey, you don't need organized church, you just go to the robot. The robot called Bless You Two, hey, there's a great name. hey, Bless You Two will spout out whatever blessing a parishioner selects from a touchpad on the screen of its chest. The boxy metallic thing looks like something from a 1950s sci fi film and it moves like one, too. Oh, wow, who needs church when you can go to Bless You Two, right? Who needs your organized church and your organized church? a religion after all. It's no big deal, right? It's No big deal, being part of a, a, a church. But you know what? I think the book of Acts sheds a little bit of light on this. And I'd encourage you to read the whole book. It's really very, a very, very exciting book to read. There's all kinds of action and things happening. But what does the book of Acts say about a church, and I just say I'm going to stick right with the book of Acts for now, but later we'll see from uh, the, the really the great part of the New Testament as well. But in the book of Acts, you don't have to really read too far to find that the apostles were leading. They were leading the church. Issues arose which required the establishment of deacons. The moral lapses of people like Ananias and Sapphira, they had to be dealt with. They were dealt with by an apostle. References to elders are made at certain meetings which take place fairly early in the life of the church. They kept track of the numbers of people. In Acts chapter 2, they tell you 3,000 people were added. A couple chapters later, another 5,000, they kept track of numbers of the people they baptized and added to the fellowship. James the half-brother of Jesus rose up to be a chief elder in what began to be referenced as the church at Jerusalem. And why is that? Why did uh, that, ha- that distinction have to be made, that there was a church in Jerusalem? Well, because other churches were being formed in cities like Antioch. You look at Acts chapter uh, 15, verse 22. It's just one example. It says, Then the apostles and elders, sounds like leaders to me, with the whole church, a distinction, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They were going there because they were establishing a church. And then you'll read later about the church in Antioch and churches formed across the province of Asia and into Europe as far away as uh, the great city of Rome. And when you arrive at the end of the book of Acts, there are churches in many cities, in many towns. You read about Paul going from town to town and establishing elders in places of leadership. And we read this in Acts chapter 22, uh, verses 17 and 28. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And he said this to these elders of the church, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And then outside the book of Acts, We have the remainder of the New Testament, the whole of uh, the New Testament letters, and these are letters that the apostles wrote that were circulated among what? Among the churches. Why? So they could advise the churches on spiritual growth and development, on practical operation, how to set people in place uh, as leaders, what they should do. There are many, many examples that I could give you I'm going to give you just one from a New Testament letter, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. This is about operation of the church. Paul to Timothy, "...the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain, and the worker deserves his wages." Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. Do it publicly, he says. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. When it comes to the New Testament church, sounds pretty organized to me. Through the book of Acts, the letters, we find a great deal of leadership, operation, membership, discipline of members we just read, discipline of leaders we just read, uh, things like paying wages we just read. These are are practical, operational uh, directions, which the apostle was writing to another leader, Timothy. What began as, the uh, organizing and structuring of the church in Jerusalem from this day of Pentecost, 120 people, and then 3,000 people baptized in Acts chapter 2. What began there, it expanded out to many, many cities, and a great number of individual churches were formed. We refer to those today as local churches, individual local churches. These local churches were interconnected by their common a bond of faith. They believed in Jesus Christ. They had this connection, but yet each one was different. Each one was uh, dealing with a variety of different problems. You read Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. He's commending them about how great they're doing, but hey, open up the letter to the Galatians. Not so well. He's teaching them something about uh, beginning in the spirit, but trying to finish in the flesh. They have different issues, different problems because they're in different locations. Yes, they're interconnected by faith in Christ, but they had this individual uh, sense about them. So this interconnectedness, it's what we call often the capital C church. They were part of the universal church. The local churches were not some loosely defined uh, group like a hobby club. It wasn't like a pickup basketball team where no one was in charge, and everyone came and went at their own whim, The New Testament church was not some organic movement, unstructured, without any form. And I want to bring a a little picture to your mind that just something that might help uh, visual learners. Imagine I have someone over here at this table. I want to offer them my snack here that I brought today. And they say, yeah, that looks pretty good. Yeah, they do look pretty good. I'll give them some, right? Here, I'll just give them some. Oh, you want some water too? Oh yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, you can have some water, sure. What we have here is a difference, a distinction. We've got an organic movement. It's unstructured. It's chaos. There's no form. There's no connection. There's no framework. Over here, I've got the same internal material, but I've got some form and some structure to keep it together. I've got some framework to hold it. This is the difference between unmanaged, unstructured movements versus something that has organization. Organization no even a, a grassroots movement it might be something in your neighborhood because you've got a you know crummy street in front of your house uh, all the way down the block so there's a grassroots effort to uh, get your community to repave the street eventually there needs to be some organization. Somebody's got to rise up as the leader. How are we going to affect the community? How are we going to get to City Hall? We need to band together. Somebody has got to take charge. Somebody's got to put some structure to it. It's not going to exist long when it's just chaos and, and it's just helter-skelter and it's anybody at their, own, at their own whim. There needs to be structure. In the churches of the New the churches of the New Testament, they were structured. They were organized. They were built on a framework, and it was a solid framework. There was order. There was hierarchy. People don't like that. They don't like the word hierarchy. But what, what do you get if you don't have hierarchy and structure? You get anarchy and chaos. It's a bigger deal than you might think. The church is vital. The church is important. The church is critical. And Its organization is vital, important, and critical. And to Jesus, this church was a foundational. Jesus once asked his disciples a question. And when he asked this question, based on their answer and his discussion with them, it revealed the significance that he held for the church. And Jesus wasn't letting the church just be some helter-skelter movement. And this is recorded in... Uh, Matthew chapter 16, the gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? When Peter proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the son of the living God, in essence, Jesus replied, Peter, what you just said is foundational. On this rock, I will build my church. A building on bedrock is a strong building. And the bedrock is the foundation. On this rock, I will build my church. And then Jesus mentions things about the authority of the church. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's an authority statement there. The church doesn't exist by the edict of the state or the authority of the state. It's not beholden to the law of man. That doesn't mean it's without order. That doesn't mean it's just chaotic. It's ordered by Jesus Christ. The church exists because of the decree of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' aim for the church was that it was to be built. It wasn't going to proliferate chaotically as some organic movement. It it was meant to be built on a firm foundation. It was meant meant to be built on the rock. The rock that is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. On this foundation, the church is formed by those who confess By faith, Jesus Christ. Christ then is this rock beneath the church, holding up confessors of the faith that build the the church, that become the church. And and then Christ is also the head. And the church exists under his sovereignty, and it exists upon his power. On on these confessors of faith, uh, Christ formed the church. And Peter referred to them in his... First letter as living stones. Confessors of faith, people like you and me. Peter wrote to them and said, you are living stones being built into a spiritual house. This is a beautiful metaphor. Metaphors like this abound in the New Testament when it comes to describing being part of a church. Here's some of the metaphors. Citizens of a kingdom, living stones in a building, as Peter said, sheep in a fold, members of a body, children In a family. These images hold deep meaning. They they depict profound connection. They show that belonging to the church is not like joining a club where you just stay for a while and then you move on to the next club because the dues are less and they service you more. No, these these illustrations show that belonging to a church is meaningful. And now I'm not saying uh, that it's a wrong for one to move from one church to another. I'm not saying it's wrong to listen to a podcast or watch a video or follow an evangelist on social media. But if that's your primary focus, if that's where you're primarily going for spiritual growth and development, and it's secondary to be a part of an active community called a church, then you've stepped out of balance. You've stepped out of balance, and you're missing a great, great blessing. The writers of the New Testament, they were specific in their imagery. Citizens of a kingdom, living stones in a building, sheep in a fold, members of a body, children of a family, a citizen of a kingdom, a citizen of a kingdom, a country, doesn't renounce its citizenship and then go to another country and be naturalized. And then maybe a few weeks, a few months later, say, ah, I don't like this country. I'll move to another country. I'll get citizenship at the next country. No, that's not a citizen. That's a nomad. Now, I cross the bridge and go over to Canada, but I keep my passport. I keep my citizenship. I might visit, but I come back because I have a home and I have a connection that's vital and critical and meaningful. A stone in a building Stone in a building doesn't break away. Roll on down the street to the next building. Hey, there's a nice building. I'll I'll plug in there. This is a picture. This is an image that the the apostles used. A sheep belongs to a flock under the protection of a shepherd. Shepherds don't go out in the field and start trading off sheep. Members of a body, hands and feet. They don't separate from the body and go off and graft into another body. Children in a family, as much as they might want to say, "I don't like you, Dad," and I'm going to go find a new dad. I mean, I know my kids did that from time to time. They don't like things you do when they're little kids, and I'm sure I felt that way when I was a kid. Well, you don't do that. You can't say, "Well, I'll just go to a next set of mom and dad," and then you know, after it gets a little hard at that house, I'll go to a new one. You now I could add more. Too. The, the, the New Testament talks about a tree and, and branches, but you get the idea. You get the idea that these writers of the New Testament they use big deal images of the New Testament church to depict the significance of connection and belonging. Citizens, stones, sheep, members, children, you know, branches—they present illustrations of deep, meaningful, lasting connection. And in that connectivity and community, there is great, great blessing to be outside of it. You're missing something, and I say that's a big deal. It's a big deal to miss it. It's a big deal to not be a part of it. To be a recipient of these blessings, you need to be in the fold. You need to be part of the body. The blessings are few for those who are disconnected. For those who are marginally uh, connected, unwilling to submit. They're missing a blessing. Those who wouldn't say, I'll submit to pastors and elders and ministers of a church to be my spiritual guides, they who are reluctant to make that connection are missing a great blessing. But those who've committed, those who have said, Yes, I'm part of this, and yes, it's meaningful to me, there's many, many blessings, and I just want to cite a few to you this morning because they're wonderful. When you commit and you belong to a church, number one, you've got a great advantage. You have a great advantage of community support. You're part of a community, a family, and there's support in that body where you can be encouraged by others when you're down. You can be uplifted. We, We carry one another's burdens. If you find yourself in a trial of life, you can find counsel in the church. If you lose a loved one, the church is there to support, to help, to prepare a memorial service, to be a part of that. I've been called to funerals, uh, by a funeral home. It's the hardest thing to do, walk in, never met the family, not, don't have a connection, and yet they want someone to come and eulogize their loved one. But when you're part of the church and you're known, it's a big, big difference. If you fall on hard times, you know, the body helps. It's, it's part of the ministry of the body of Christ. And I learned so much about this uh, support when my young brother uh, became sick and ill about 20 years ago when his illness and his sickness really began to turn uh, toward very, very serious. And we were part of the church, but we were just a family in the church. You know, our name wasn't some name. I wasn't a pastor. My brother wasn't a pastor. We, we had our kids at the school. We were connected we came to church. We saw it as important. We saw it as something in our life. But I'll tell you, the significance of it became so clear to me when he was unable to go to work. And people showed up with meals uninitiated. Nobody sent out anything. Um, envelopes of, with a little bit of money might come in the mail. And one day, I remember this. My sister-in-law, who was making Uh, trips to Ann Arbor every day because he was at the U of M uh, hospital. Her tires on her van were getting wore out. She said, my tires are bald. I need new tires. And you know what? She opened up her mailbox, and in the mailbox was several hundred dollars, and somebody wrote a note. Get new tires on your van. It was amazing. It was just absolutely perfect timing, amazing. The Lord put that on someone's heart. That's part of belonging. Belonging. That's part of belonging. Number two, to belong to a church is to be able uh, to jointly and in unity with others to come honor and adore our Lord in corporate uh, praise like we did this morning. That's a great, great blessing. Psalm 23 says the Lord is enthroned on the praises of his people. Psalm 150 encourages us to praise God in his sanctuary with trumpets and stringed instruments and cymbals. And he says with everything that has breath, let it praise the Lord, the psalmist says. And that's what we do when we come and gather together. You're missing that if you're sitting home alone. And I know that some of you, if you're, even if you're tuning in online because you're shut in, I know you miss that. But as part of the body, when we know there's a shut in, we make plans in preparation for communion and for visitation. The church, number three, is a community where you can find a place to be blessed with accountability. If you're venturing from the church or you are beginning to stray from the Lord. How's anybody going to know that if they don't know you? If you've been moving from place to place and you're really anonymous to the people that you're around and you have no tie, how, how could somebody apply Galatians uh, chapter 6 verse, verse 1, which says, restore a person gently. Well, there can't be that restoration if somebody doesn't know you and somebody doesn't see you, that you're actually taking a step sideways and say, hey, come on, brother or sister, you need to come back in line or call them up and say, I'd like you to go out for a meal with me so we can talk about what, what the issue is and why I haven't seen you for a while. It's not going to happen when you don't tie in. You need to tie in and you need to become known. And I'll just say, this Wednesday is a great opportunity just to tie in, become known. If you're not planning to fellowship with, Uh, Us on Wednesday evening. Make a part, make it a part of your week. Come and meet somebody new. Get to know a name. One holds up the other. Number four, the church offers a place where you can serve, where you can use your gifts and your talents that God has given you. Serving others takes the focus off of yourself and it puts the focus on someone else, and they're blessed. And as you do that, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed with fulfillment, you're going to be blessed with purpose. You might say, well, I am using my gifts to serve. I go to the hospital. I go to the jail. I go to some other place. I don't need your church. I can serve outside of the church. But when your service is under the umbrella of the church, you know, whether you're serving in the church, whether you're serving outside, whether you're going on a short-term mission trip, you avail yourself to something important. You avail yourself to being sanctioned by the church to go out and do that work. And you can avail yourself to consistent training and consistent instruction in the church to advance your ministry and advance what you're doing and build you your gift and your talent. And you're placed under an umbrella of prayer and support and encouragement of the people around you who encourage you in that ministry. And they can counsel you if you fall into a tough problem with somebody that you are ministering to. The church is there for you as you serve and as you use your gifts and as you find a place of blessing and fulfillment. And the church, number five, is the keeper of the sacraments, the sacraments that were instituted by Jesus Christ. It's a blessing when we as a church baptize someone into Christ and they give their public proclamation of faith and they declare to the whole church that they believe in Jesus Christ. And this whole church, I've seen it, I've been here, when you have welcomed somebody into the faith when you have rejoiced with them that they have been saved, born again, and they believe and they've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The church is where uh, we have the Lord's Supper and we share together and together we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Together we, we look at what Jesus Christ did for us in his sacrificial giving of his life on the cross as we gather together for communion and we also solemnize marriages as part of the church. You know, marriage is a covenant. And some say, well, what's the big deal about that? That's going to be another topic for another Sunday. Because so many people do say, what's the big deal about having a marriage covenant? But it's important. And there's blessing in that too. And for all the good an internet ministry might do, and there is good in those ministries, there are blessings that they cannot bestow on you because you're missing this vital, vital connection. And finally, I'll just say there's this blessing when you belong to uh, the church, and it's a blessing of prayer. And I know you can email prayer requests, and I know that uh, we can pray for others all over the world. We do. People do email prayer, prayer needs into uh, our place, and we'll certainly pray for people. But when you know someone, when you have a name and when you have a face, you know, as Brother Terry asked you last week, look at that person on your left and look at that person on your right and get their face and pray for that person. There's more, there is a, there is a greater earnestness in that prayer. There's an added dimension to a prayer when you know who you're praying for and it's personal. You know, James, in his letter in the New Testament, wrote this in James chapter 5. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, that's something that you miss when you email in a prayer request to uh, you know, an unknown ministry or a ministry that has no idea who you are. But when we know you and you're here, we can anoint you with oil, lay hands on you, Pray the prayer of faith. We have elders that will do that. Elders that uh, have prayed to be channels of blessing of God Almighty. And they take this with the utmost sincerity and seriousness. They're part of a structure. They're part of a framework. They're part of an organization. They're not part of a movement. They're part of the church. They're part of the church that is built on Jesus Christ. And this morning they'll extend a hand and they'll offer the blessing that only can be found in the church and a blessing that you might need this morning. And I want to invite our elders right now to these altars. I want to ask you to come up here and prepare to pray for any and all in this sanctuary that would need a prayer. And if you're, if you're in the back of the sanctuary and you can't make it up to the front here for whatever reason, if walking is difficult for you, or getting out of your seat is difficult. We have some elders that are going to be on either side. Just lift your hand. Lift your hand and wave them over. They will come, and they will bless you, and they will pray for you, and they will anoint you, as it says in the Word. If you need a visitation this morning of the Holy Spirit, if you have a physical need, if you have a financial need, if you need just a blessing... Avail yourself to what the church can offer you this morning. It's a great and it's a wonderful blessing that you shouldn't miss. Take advantage of it. That's why the church is organized and structured and here this morning. If you desire what we've addressed for the past several weeks, the breath of the Holy Spirit to blow in you, and you want to seek the giver of the gifts, which Paul said you can eagerly uh, desire, come. Come this morning. Come for prayer. And before Uh, we lay hands on anyone. We have some needs of those in our church that uh, can't be here. Uh, Mark Hass wants us to pray for Zach who was in a motorcycle accident. He's now paralyzed from the chest down. Uh, Phil Oswald is in need of healing. Gary Warnier is in need of healing. He had his hip replaced, uh, and as that was uh, taking place, his femur was fractured. And he's asking... Us for prayer. Jerry and Cheryl Marino's son, Chris Dautry, uh had to be taken to ER, and he's adjusting to having uh, regularly having to regularly undergo kidney dialysis. Uh, Dolores Braxton was admitted admitted to the hospital on Monday. D- Dolores is one of our shut-ins. We serve her communion every single month. We have a connection with her, though she can't be here. We have a connection. We know her face, and she was here for a long time. We want to pray uh, for her because she was admitted with a multiple blood clots. Uh, and she did have some of those uh, clear, but she's weak, and uh, she has uh, been progressing and moved from ICU, but still needs our prayer. Jeff Bratton's father-in-law is in the hospital and wants us to pray for him. His name is Howard uh, Cliff and Linda Lee, uh, who... We're a part of this fellowship. Their oldest daughter passed away, and they're asking us uh, to pray for the family. And Brenda Parker's mother, Margaret, passed away on Wednesday, uh, the 5th. This was after a long pa- uh, battle with Parkinson's, and uh, Brenda's going to be in Traverse City on Monday for the funeral. I want to pray for these needs, but if you have a need, let's all, let's all stand and pray. And for those of you who uh, don't come to the altars... You know, after, our, after I pray for these needs, you can sit down if you need to, but please stay. Let's keep this sanctuary a sanctuary with an attitude of worship and praise as these come to avail themselves to the prayer of faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for these needs of those that we love and who are near to us but couldn't be here. And they have needs, God, that are physical, that are uh, emotional, that are spiritual, God, and we pray that the almighty Holy Spirit would just intervene in these situations, that you would touch the physical needs like Gary Warner's femur, Lord, that you would uh, extend yourself with encouragement to Jerry Marino's son, Lord, that you would provide the comfort of the Holy Spirit to these uh, that have lost loved ones, God, for the family that has someone in the hospital, Lord, give them grace. Father, we ask and pray in Jesus' name for this great work to be done, and Lord, for all who are coming to these altars this morning. God, meet them. Lord, meet their need. May none hold back. Lord, may each one come humbly but boldly to thy throne of grace, Lord, for a blessing, a blessing to be bestowed by you, God, through elders and ministers, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask it, Father, in the marvelous, powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, amen.